Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What it do, baby? What's up, Dolphins? And welcome in to the Tuesday, October the 1st edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the aftermath from the 30-10 to 10 loss to the Chargers. Snap counts, changes to the lineups, statistics, and metrics from the first quarter of this 2019 season. We'll talk about the philosophy developing under the new coaching staff. And we'll break down all 28 dropbacks for Josh Rosen and get you guys caught up on the tank standings and the all-important Bengals-Steelers game on Monday Night Football. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TunedIn, Google Play, Spotify. We are a top 100 podcast on Spotify and top 200 on Apple Podcasts, so please go in there and leave us a rating, leave us a review to continue that streak. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. You can find the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. All the data from the Aftermath article up right now on LOD.com. And we've got a busy, busy show for you, as we always do. Let's go ahead and jump right in. So one of the things I wanted to watch for this season was some tendencies and philosophies developing on either side of the football. And I thought it would be easier because back when this team had Laramie Tunzel and Kenny Stills and Minka Fitzpatrick and TJ McDonald and Tank Carradine and Akeem Spence, and the list goes on and on and on, I thought this team would be competitive enough to win four or five games. And so I thought we'd have a better idea of what we're going to see from the philosophy standpoint, from the play calling standpoint, from the utilization of the roster standpoint. It's just hard to get a feel for that given that most of the circumstances this team is playing with are dictated by the scoreboard and not the actual plan they had coming in. But I will say the 15-play script on offense the last couple of weeks has been very impressive if you ask me and Chad O'Shea and what he's done to create some opportunities for this offense. And really when I talk about circumstances, it's mostly just trying to survive a ravaging in the second half, which has been the case Pretty much all four games this season, 81 points for the opponent, zero for the Dolphins. But from what I've gathered so far, there are some encouraging points from this coaching staff that the previous staff did not do by way of putting on certain packages onto the field and utilizing the defense's aggressiveness and tendencies against them to create scoring opportunities like the Devontae Parker touchdown that we talked about on the podcast yesterday. But all the stuff the staff did last year collectively drove us nuts. Adam Gase is still doing it in New York. Matt Burke doesn't have a defensive coordinator job anymore because of it. But the thing that I really wanted to look at this year with this Dolphins defensive staff, because again, that's kind of the more prevalent faction of this team going forward since we're going to have a new quarterback, probably a brand new offensive line, some new running backs, some new receivers. The entire offense is going to get remade this offseason. And while the defense might, for the most part, I think some of the principles and philosophies you've seen are what they intend to do. And the biggest one of that, and this is in the third segment of the LockedOnDolphins.com article, The Aftermath, is talking about what the plan has been from this defensive and offensive staff through four weeks. And on defense, it's making the offense play left-handed. Now, 
Have they achieved that? Not even close. Not at all. And one of the main things I looked for, and I watched the Packers game the other night on Thursday Night Football, trying to get a look at Kylo, Kyler Fackrell, rather, and getting a feel for what he does in that scheme. And you notice a lot of what the Bears do are a 3-3-5 bear front look under Patrick Graham when he was a linebackers coach and running game coordinator last year. The Dolphins had that in camp a little bit in preseason. They have done none of that so far in the regular season. They did, however, show some of it on Sunday, and we'll talk about why they did that on Sunday. But it's mostly been a 4-3 under look with Charles Harris playing a three-point stance off the edge and basically getting washed out and getting his ass kicked most of the time he does that. So Miami has had to pull back on that because of the personnel. But as far as forcing the de- the offense, I should say, to play left-handed, they've tried. They haven't succeeded, but they have tried at least until this game on Sunday. Week one, force Lamar Jackson to beat you with his arm. Don't let him run. I think he had six rushing yards. So you accomplish that. But on the other end, he threw for like 45 touchdown passes. So you failed there. Make the Patriots offense in week two go through any position besides their running backs. And that might sound funny when you have Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman, and Antonio Brown, the head case for one game. But the Patriots offense funnels through their running backs. Brian Flores knows that. Chad O'Shea knows that. They still had 183 yards total by their backs. That's not a success by any stretch. You want to slow Ezekiel Elliott down when you play the Cowboys. 139 yards from scrimmage for Zeke. And of course, Tony Pollard went over 100 as well. So that's three straight failures. But week four against the Chargers, you want somebody else besides Keenan Allen to beat you, especially with Mike Williams down for the game. And of course, no Hunter Henry at tight end. Man, that team was as beat up as the Dolphins, if not worse. You have to stop Keenan Allen from doing what he's done all season long because coming into the game, Allen had 29 catches on 42 targets. That's an average of 14 targets per game and almost 10 catches at 9.67. And the Dolphins found a way to cut those numbers basically in half. Allen had only six targets, so less than half. He did catch five of them, but only putting up 48 yards. That's a big-time job from a defense on a receiver who basically goes over 120 yards and a touchdown every week. Now, granted, Allen did have a 70-something yard touchdown called back on a penalty, but for the most part, they bracketed him. They took care of him. They got the Chargers' biggest playmaker out of the offensive game plan, and that's a big reason why the Chargers came out of the blocks a little bit slow on offense and had to run the Dolphins into submission in that second half. You add that production on Keenan Allen compared to a 2.6 yards per carry average from the Charger running backs. And really, I think this Dolphins defense did a good job. They were on the field for way too long once again with over 37 minutes of possession. You just can't sustain good defense at that rate. And of course, 14 of the 30 points came off of the play where Josh Rosen got sacked on his own goal line, so punting from the back of your own end zone, as well as the play where Josh Rosen threw a pick and set the Chargers up in plus territory. So I do have some encouragement about this Dolphins defense. I think once you get some of the parts invested and reinforced onto this defense in the offseason, more guys that can do the jobs they want these guys to do, kind of like Taco Charlton's doing a job off the edge and run defense. More on that in segment number two. But there will be plenty of additions to this defense. We'll find out if they'll work next year and beyond. Next week, as far as the interim is concerned, getting Bobby McCain and Jamal Wiltz back after the bye should be better. That should be the healthiest this team has been in a while. I'd love to see on offense what the Albert Wilson inclusion looks like to the scheme. He's only played six snaps this year. But again, the offseason will be where things get turned over. And to remind you once again, the end of this week and the start of next week on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast is going to be all about the 2020 
2020 offseason. I've got some film reviews done on free agents and some draft prospects we're going to talk about, like Byron Jones in Dallas, to name one. And speaking of Dallas, the Saints did pull off that win late on Sunday night. It seems like they're going to do enough to prevent that pick from getting into the top 50, even without Drew Brees. And we'll recap the Steelers and Bengals in segment number three and update the tank standings. But real quick, something I forgot to put in the recap show on Sunday night. A quick update on my picks from the weekend. Another 3-3 three and three week for me in college football. Sitting comfortably right now at 16-16. and 16, Dead 500. Not very good. My entire platform is to bleed you out through the juice, apparently. But at least you're getting almost free entertainment. And what better way to spice up that entertainment with a little home delivery service? Long day at work, still stuck at the office. Open the DoorDash app. Choose what you want to eat and your food will be delivered right to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. So now you've got your food, you've got your game on the TV, it's the end of a hard work week, and you're looking forward to sitting down, taking some time off, and what better way to do that than to watch some football? Well, I'll tell you, it's to put money on football, because nothing makes game-winning touchdowns more exciting, running backs running in the clear with no one in sight to stop them, there is just nothing like the NFL, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to put some cold hard cash on them. So do the smart thing, and go to mybookie.ag, no one gives you more ways to win than they do. My bookie's got the fastest payouts and better line than any other sports book. Don't forget where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And mybookie.ag is the best in the business. It's where I play. It's where you should play too. I wouldn't be telling you guys about them if they were not the best in the business. They have every kind of bet imaginable available to you. Teasers, parlays, fantasy points scored for individual players, halftime spreads, whatever you want, MyBookie has it. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Working hard on these post-game recap and aftermath articles up on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I play that song from Bone Thugs because I really wish you guys don't forget me during this tough, tough time. I promise we're going to come out on the other side of this, and there will be exciting football in Miami once again. But for now, let's go ahead and jump back into the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com as we do every single Tuesday here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, recapping the game that was and telling you where Miami ranks among the other NFL teams as far as statistics and all that fun stuff. And we start here with the team stats. We talked about it in the open. The Dolphins allowed just 2.6 yards per carry on Sunday, an impressive mark that was half as much as their total for the first three games they allowed. And their average is now down to 4.8 yards per carry, 25th in the NFL. Free from the seller, as is the passing game at 10.3 yards per pass. The Dolphins are 29th in that department. However, they do rank dead last in quarterback hits with only 11 through four games. The Dolphins are significantly behind the pack in scoring defense still. 40.8 points per game is more than 11 points worse than the 31st ranked team in Washington. The Dolphins' third down defense is better than theirs. 57.8% of third downs get converted against Miami, 63% over the 32nd ranked Washington football team. 
on offense. The Dolphins' passing offense is better than Adam Gaze's Jets and Kirk Cousins' Vikings, but collectively, nobody has thrown more picks than Miami, seven, and only Kyler Murray and the Cardinals have taken more sacks. The Dolphins have surrendered 18 this year, 31st in the National Football League. The Dolphins' team passer rating with Rosen and Fitzpatrick is 12.6 points lower than the 31st-ranked Bills. It's 52.5. Yeah, 207 rushing yards. Four teams have had less work in the ground game, although two of those teams play in the Monday night game. The Dolphins' three yards per carry average is 30th in the NFL. Miami's six points per game are dead last in the NFL. Five points lower than the next worst team, the Jets, at 11 points. Miami are averaging less than a touchdown per game, and their third down and red zone woes are a major contributor. Miami has converted only 26% of its third downs and has scored just one touchdown on six red zone trips this year. On the offensive side, snap counts, Rosen and the offensive line played the entire game. That's the third game this year the line has gone wire to wire. Kenyon Drake played 28 snaps. That's 54%. Mark Walton played 13 over Kalen Balazs' 8 snaps. Chandler Cox had just 1. Preston Williams and Devontae Parker both played 43 snaps. Jakeem Grant, 22. Isaiah Ford, 15. The tight ends, I talked about it, how I thought that Gesicki got demoted for Durham Smythe because of the run-heavy game plan. That's true. Durham Smythe played 37 snaps. That's 71%. Wow. And Gasecki played 26. Nick O'Leary played 24 on the game on Sunday. And talking about Mark Walton getting more work than Kalen Balazs, I think it's pretty much warranted at this point. Balazs is averaging just 2.9 yards per target and has as many drops as catches in the passing game. His 1.53 yards per carry average is dead last in the NFL. Mark Walton is at 3.9 yards per carry. Not great, but much better. And 5.8 yards per target. Also not great, but much better. Kenyon Drake is in that same neighborhood with a significantly greater workload, of course, in rushing and receiving average. He's a full yard below his career average at 3.6 yards per carry, but hopefully this improved offensive line can change that as Daniel Kilgore had the highest pass blocking grade of any Dolphins offensive lineman this season with zero pressure surrendered on Sunday against the Chargers. The Cowboys did pick up five sacks in this game. Isaiah Prince was guilty for one of those. He had the most pressures allowed with four, but three of those were hurries and no hit hits additional to the sack on the quarterback. Prince did have the highest run blocking grade on the team in this game. Next, Evan Bame, who I thought was fantastic. PFF did not feel the same way. He allowed two hits and a hurry, but no sacks, and his run blocking grade was not very good, though I thought he did enough to push guys off the ball. Michael Dieter didn't have glowing grades, but his lone pressure allowed was a hit on Rosen, no sacks and no hurries. PFF tabbed Rosen with two of the five sacks, and that jives with my film study. We'll come back on Josh Rosen in the third segment of the podcast. Preston Williams had another drop on Sunday. This Dolphins receiving core is just not getting it done. In yards per route run across the NFL, Preston Williams ranks 58th, Devontae Parker 86th, and Jakeem Grant 136th in the NFL. Devontae Parker caught all four of his targets for 70 yards. That's a 17.5 yards per target mark. And Durham Smythe had the second best run blocking grade on the entire offense. Flip things over to the defensive side. The snap counts this week for Devon Godshaw, normally a 60% player. He played 82% of the reps, 55 in total for him as he leads the way in defensive line workload. Taco Charlton got 48, Avery Moss 47, Christian Wilkins 41, and then a big drop off to Big John Jenkins who played 13. At linebacker, Jerome Baker every snap all 67. Sam McGuavin still out-repped Raekwon McMillan, but his workload went way down, down to 49 snaps. That's 73%. McMillan played 43 snaps. That's 64%. And Charles Harris, who is listed as a linebacker, although he never really plays linebacker, 
had 26 snaps, cut his workload more than in half. Vince Beagle and Trent Harris each had 11 reps in the game. Xavier Howard and Eric Rowe, the two cornerbacks, played every snap, all 67. Ken Webster was the third corner. He played 29. Johnson Batamosi played 13 snaps. Steven Parker played 66, almost every rep, minus one. The same was true for Rashad Jones. Doug Middleton played 16, and Walt Aikens played two snaps. Let's get back to Raekwon McMillan here, who, after missing all of training camp and preseason, for the most part, is picking up right where he left off in 2018. You'll recall, he was the best run-defending run linebacker in the NFL from October onward, even better than Luke Keekley by PFF metrics, and he's right back at that again. He currently rakes number three in run defense for linebackers, and he had all four of his tackles were solo tackles with three run stops in the game. He's playing terrific. Jerome Baker and Sam McGuavin, not so much. Baker was everybody's pick for a breakout star, including mine, but after finishing last on the defense in PFF grade last week, he's third from last this week, 17th out of 19. All four of his passes into his coverage area went complete for 61 yards, although three of his five tackles were run stops within two yards of the line of scrimmage. Sam McGuavin cannot defeat blocks. He's getting steamrolled when he tries. He was the second lowest graded defender on the Dolphins defense ahead of Trent Harris, who only played 11 snaps anyways. All three of his targets went complete for 34 yards. He had just one hurry on 13 pass rush attempts and only two tackles in the entire game. Christian Wilkins, according to PFF, had his best game, although he only made one run stop and had a hurry as a pass rusher. I thought he was better last week, but whatever. Taco Charlton arrived in a big way. His sack this week was more about winning as a pass rusher. We talked about it on the show on Sunday slash Monday, but he did a good job against the run. Three run stops, and he had an additional hit on Phillip Rivers, so Charlton with a good game. And McMillan and Charlton's workload comes at the expense of Charles Harris, who saw that workload cut more than in half. His production, however, was the exact same. Zero pressures, zero run stops for Charles Harris. And moving back into the secondary, it wasn't quite the bounce back game that people would lead you to believe it was for Xavier Howard. He allowed six of seven targets to go complete for 61 yards and he was hit with the DPI. Ken Webster, on the other hand, had a good game. He allowed only one of the three targets to go complete in his pass in his coverage area for seven yards from Phillip Rivers. So those are the stats. Go to LockedOnDolphins.com. You can look it up for more in-depth breakdowns on this game for all the snap counts from every player on the roster. We're going to come back in the next segment and talk about Josh Rosen's performance and the Josh Rosen charting project part two. We'll talk about Steelers, Bengals, who won that game? What does it mean for Miami in the grand scheme of the 2020 NFL draft? All of that and more here next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. It's a Tuesday podcast here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. You know that means we're talking data, and that includes the Josh Rosen charting project or enter any young Dolphins quarterback that is not Ryan Fitzpatrick. We did Tannehill last year, obviously, Josh Rosen in the offseason, and next year, and maybe even this year, you'll get some Tua Tungavailoa charting as well. But as we go forward here, trying to figure out what Josh Rosen is long-term for this team and how well he stacks up to that 2020 quarterback class, because let's face it, that's who he's being judged against right now. And it's not necessarily about production or surrounding talent or anything besides what you see with your eyeballs in isolation. Putting the two prospects together, 
Rosen being a prospect, and whichever rookie you're comparing him to, or I should say potential rookie in 2020, because again, that's who he'll be judged against. And right now, his NFL production has just not been good. I'm not saying these stats tell you anything. I'm just putting them out there for you, as I did on Twitter. Rosen currently ranks 33rd in the NFL in passer rating. There are 33 qualifying passers for this. He's 33rd in passer rating and completion percentage, dead last. He's second from bottom, 32nd in YPA yards per attempt. He's 30th out of 33 in touchdown percentage and 29th worst out of the 33 in interception percentage. We also have the metrics from the charting project up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And before I get into that real quick, I noticed a lot of tendencies on the tape this week as I went over the passing game. Tomorrow's podcast, we'll talk about the running game and the defense on all 22. But I got a lot of good takeaways from this game from an offensive approach and philosophy standpoint and the way these guys want to put this offense in best position to succeed based upon what the players they have right now and what they do well. Now, I know that's something of a paradox because this team doesn't really have that much talent in that they don't do many things well, but the coaching staff is doing their damnedest to get them in position to excel as best they can. And one of those instances is like they did with Isaiah Prince and Mike Gesicki off the edge against Joey Bosa and not just Mike Gesicki. He was one of the guys doing it, but they often condense the package into tight and nasty splits. What that means is you have players in tight to the formation, a offset tight end or running back, somebody that comes up and helps in the pass protection, but also can leak out into the route. They did that with just about everybody that got into that position. They would motion the backs or tight ends from the backfield up into that position to help them get empty sets, but you basically have a seven-man offensive line off the top, so it helps with overload pressures and the sort, and they found ways to condense 03 personnel packages, which is zero backs, three tight ends, two receivers, and get those tight ends bunched into the tight side of the formation to help block them up. Now, there were some instances where Josh Rosen didn't slide the protection properly as the Chargers began to adapt and would send overload pressures to the weak side where that bunch of tight ends was not, and Rosen has to see that and slide his protection accordingly. There was a couple of instances where he did not get that done, but using the chip off the edge, using that 03 personnel or 13 personnel with that max protect, getting the quarterback off of his spot with the boot. And even though there are those instances where Rosen gets confused with the pre-snap and post-snap picture and the way they change, the Dolphin schemes are generally pretty good at the very least better than the crap we saw last year with Adam Gase. Everybody everywhere wants a scheme that adapts to the personnel, and it just feels like the Dolphins finally have that because with Isaiah Prince and Evan Bame in the lineup, the Dolphins committed to the running game. Both those guys do better in the run game than they do in pass protection, and so Miami helped them in pass protection by giving the tight ends as a group 87 total snaps, only 21 fewer snaps than the top three receivers on the roster. That's pretty rare, and it led to Miami's most effective rushing day, highest completion percentage, and highest yards per attempt of the season so far. And a big reason for that was because Josh Rosen got to play that complimentary role. That's because he was 14 of 16 on passes 10 yards and in or behind the line of scrimmage, 87% complete there. He was three for six on passes 11 to 20 yards, good for a 50% right there. Also 50% on passes 20 yards or more downfield. He was one for two on those. So a lot less vertical passing game, chuck and duck type of offense. They played much more conservative to try to support Josh Rosen 
and put him in more of a complementary role. And because of that, those high completion percentages, a drop of 2.7 air yards per target from last week. He goes from nine to six in that range because of the game plan. And the Dolphins had less pressure on him, 11 in total out of 28 dropbacks, four sacks, two hits, and five hurries. The average time from snap to pressure was 2.46 seconds. That's two tenths of a second better than it was last week. He was in shotgun 92.9% of his passing plays. That's a 20% jump from last week, getting him back, giving him more time with that max protection. The conversion rate, first downs and touchdowns divided by total dropbacks was almost the same as last week. He was eight for 28. That's just 28.6%, only 3% improvement off last week. Now he was better on third and fourth down, moving the sticks on four out of 10 such instances. And he was accurate on one of three end zone or red zone throws, I should say. And he was five for eight, throwing into contested windows for 61 yards and the interception, which by the way, that interception, check out the video on the article on the Josh Rosen charting project article up on LockdownDolphins.com. That was a terrible decision, terrible accuracy, terrible velocity. Just one of the worst throws I've seen him make on all of his tape I've seen. And I tagged Rosen with 10 plays where I thought he could have done more to help the Dolphins chances. I had four off target throws of the 24. I had seven bad decisions or reads and two plays independently where his timing was off. There was timing issues on the other plays, but I wanted to get that total number of 10 in terms of plays he messed up. I think I had three plays where there were multiple demerits on the play. So not his best showing. As you'll see in the video thread, he's got a share of mistakes a bit late off the top of his drop. That's a common thing in his game. Doesn't always see the feel with anticipation. A couple videos show you that. He'll make some rash decisions when things start to break down around him and it causes a back-breaking mistake that kills his team, like the interception or like the sack on the goal line when he had a receiver wide open. Again, check out the videos. It's more in-depth on those up on LockedOnDolphins.com. All things told, Josh Rosen checks in with a losing performance this week. I just can't give him the nod here. Not enough production in the second half. Not enough on-time in-rhythm throws and accurate passes and good decisions. He made the back-breaking turnover, took some bad sacks, so he has zero winning performances, one inconsequential performance last week in Dallas, and one losing performance this week against the Chargers. So we have plenty of content for you guys up on LockedOnDolphins.com. That Twitter thread with Josh Rosen's charting project, as well as the analysis on the stats inside. More in-depth analysis on the personnel deployments, and of course the Josh Rosen chart that has the hit and miss map. That's not up there just yet, but I'll have it for you guys shortly. I also have the aftermath piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com, checking out all the PFF metrics and where the guys rank currently among their position groups and the team ranks for the season. And before we get out of here, it's late on a Monday night past midnight on the east coast and the updated tankathon standings after the Steelers wallop the Cincinnati Bengals not a good look for the Bengals in that one they're pretty awful but still even that loss by 21 points is only one point more than what the Dolphins best game this year is so chill on being stressed out about the Dolphins ability to tank this thing they planned for it this was Chris Greer's vision this was Brian Flores understanding of the vision their plan is to tank this thing all the way through so even as bad as Cincinnati and Washington might look The Dolphins are worse, trust me. Right now, Miami picks first overall based upon their own pick. We have the lowest strength of schedule at 484 among the six winless teams or the four 0-4 teams, I should say. Pittsburgh pick, 
Pittsburgh's pick comes in at seventh overall. That belongs to Miami, of course. They've got a very bad strength of schedule as well. That could bode well for Miami going forward on that draft pick as playing in the AFC East against the Jets and the Steelers playing in the AFC North against the Bengals. Those two games against teams that are going to be probably three or four win teams are very good for the Dolphins in the strength of schedule department. And Houston's pick comes in at 25th overall. So Miami picking first, seventh, 25th, and of course, 33rd, and the Saints somewhere in the back end of round number two. We have that updated on the LockedOnDolphins.com tank tracker. Again, all your columns, all your podcast, all your content for this Miami Dolphins team. This podcast is the place to go. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and check out of here. You guys can go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating and leave us a review once you have gotten there. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.